This is the Two-Tone Uncensored Podcast. Hosts Matt McCrone, Brian Moreland, and Glenn Lotzenheiser talk everything Tennessee Titans. This show is made for the fans of Bleed Two-Tone Blue. Justin Hartwig, and you're listening to Two-Tone Uncensored. This is Two-Tone Uncensored. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Moreland, with me as always, and giddy as a schoolgirl tonight for our host, uh, Matt Necrone. How you doing, Matt? Doing fantastic. We got the one, the only, Greg Arias on the show tonight, and he will not disappoint. Also joining us, as always... Uh, Glenn, the big dog OG Lotzenheiser. How you doing, Glenn? I am feeling pretty large right now. I ate pretty well yesterday. Got some weight to work off. Nice. Well, you're I try not to run out of breath or anything. You're London, man. You you have to be big. That's just your excuse. Still trying yeah, to get gonna, the we're team. gonna go with that. <laughs> the poor man's uh, Carl Klug. <laughs> you have an image to uphold, Glenn. Uh, I, I do. Uh, a, a figure like this does not maintain itself. <laughs> it, it requires at least a little bit of neglect. <laughs> All right. As uh, Matt alluded, we have Greg Arias on with us tonight. Uh, very excited to have him on. And we're going to jump right into this now. We're here with Greg Arias, a very good friend of the show, very special guest to have on. Knows a lot of inside information. He's going to. Give us some inside information tonight uh, on some of these deals that we've seen so far with the Titans. Uh, And then he's going to talk about his college football team, this Alabama Crimson Tide, and the stacked draft class that they have coming out, as always, it seems like. Uh, Very happy to have you on, Greg. Well, thanks for the invite as always, guys. I'm glad to be with you. Very much appreciated. Absolutely. Always good to have you on. Um, Let's start out here. Greg, first thing, just the re-signees, or talk about real quick, uh, obviously Carl Klug, the big re-signing, uh, he joins the group with Nate Palmer, uh, Philip Supernall, and Matt Castle. What did you think about who the Titans chose to re-sign this year, uh, and then who they didn't choose to re-sign, and, and how well of a job do you think they did this year? Well, there really weren't any surprises there. I think every one of those guys that you mentioned were guys that uh, pretty much everyone that covers the team regularly felt like would be guys that would return. Uh, A little bit perhaps surprised about Sean Spence uh, not being back uh, with the team, but uh, otherwise that was really the only thing that was was a little bit of a surprise. The other guys, as I said, and especially Carl Klug, even though he's coming off that Achilles uh, tear, you know, he's a guy that uh, wasn't really a speed guy per se, uh, more quickness with Carl, and I don't think he'll have any issues uh, coming back that, that will affect him long-term with that. Uh, hopefully everything's healing up pretty good uh, as far as the surgery part goes. But uh, as I said, I think pretty much everybody there is uh, was expected. Did you see uh, Fasano leaving? That was, that was about the only guy who left that I was bothered by. Well, there was a chance, obviously, because he was a guy that still 
a very good blocking tight end, catches the ball well. He's maybe lost a step as far as his speed, uh, as you know, getting out into pass patterns and things like that. But what he's lost in his his speed, he makes up for with that veteran savvy. So certainly there was a market for him out there. And, of course, Miami being a, a team that he had played for previously. And, and we all know about the weather and the draws of the things that there, there are in Miami. So uh, a little bit of a surprise that the Titans didn't go ahead and get him locked up in advance to make sure that that didn't happen. But uh, once he hit the open market, there was really no – surprised that there would be some other teams of interest in him and that he certainly uh, would be a guy that could leave the Titans. Do you see tight end being a major focus point on one of our early round draft picks? I see it being something that they certainly will address as to being able to say it will be an early round. That's hard to say because when you look at this draft class, there's three positions in particular that stand out to me as far as the depth. And those are cornerback, wide receiver, and uh, tight end. And those are three certainly positions that the Titans are looking to address. Obviously, if you look at their biggest needs, cornerback, wide receiver are at the top of that list. Uh, But because of the depth of this draft, I honestly feel like that you can't say that the Titans are going to draft a cornerback or a wide receiver early The only wild card in that, and that being tight end, is the fact that O.J. Howard is just such a special talent that the Titans might well decide to go ahead and and take him in that first round and and fill that need of a tight end because he is that ultra-talented. Whereas you look at the other receivers, you can kind of throw a blanket over Williams, Davis, and Ross, the three guys that are projected in the first round, any of those three perhaps. And then you've got some other guys that I really like in the – second, third, fourth round of this thing as well. And and likewise for cornerback. I think you've got a couple of guys that are a little bit ahead of the pack on the cornerbacks, but everybody else is pretty much equal. And you can get probably a couple of really talented guys in the mid-rounds at cornerback as well as receiver. Greg, obviously one of the re-signings, I believe the first one to happen was Matt Castle coming back, going to be the backup again this year. Uh, In two consecutive years now, we've seen Marcus go down. Last year, of course, Matt Castle's first year with the team comes in. He played uh, okay, I guess you could say. Um, Definitely not great, but it wasn't horrible. How did you feel about him uh, getting re-signed and coming back? Well, it was a move to get a veteran presence back in there because if you look, uh, obviously Marcus is your starter, but as you said, he's been injured the last two years. Should something happen to him this season again and he be injured? Uh, If you didn't have Matt Castle, you would be going with Alex Taney, who's a guy that hasn't started a lot in the NFL, hasn't even played a lot. In fact, uh, he's not started a game in the league. He's only played in, I think, three games overall uh, in his uh, entire uh, NFL career outside the preseason. So, uh, obviously, I think the Titans will look at perhaps drafting a guy Uh, in this draft in the late rounds to bring in as a camp body or perhaps uh, stack on the practice squad uh, to try to kind of develop in the future, uh, especially if they're able to make some trades in that first round and and maybe drop down from five or even drop down for 18 or another uh, scenario that we learned about today that I'll get into a little bit later on. Uh, Certainly, we know John Robinson wants to add some picks, and I think a quarterback would be something that he would look at, especially with adding more picks uh, in this draft as we get closer to the draft coming up on the 27th. 
Yeah, and one of the things that's happened this offseason is you know, the Titans have made some moves at bringing in some new players that are likely to start on a big area of need, which is our defense, you know, particularly in the secondary. And it frees you up a little bit to make more moves in the draft if you have players like this. Uh, we added uh, Jonathan Cyprian and Logan Ryan specifically to our uh, secondary. And we also brought in Sylvester Williams and Eric Weems, you know, to help special teams and to uh, add depth and possibly a new starter to our defensive line. What did you think of the top level of the guys that we've brought in the free agency as far as guys who are likely to start, uh, how big of a difference they make to our approach to the draft? Well, I think let's start with the up front on the defensive line in Sylvester Williams. He's a guy that was a former first-round draft pick. He never really lived up to the first-round billing that everybody thought he would have uh, when he was drafted by the Broncos in the first round. But he's a talented guy. He's a guy that's played on a Super Bowl championship football team. He knows what it takes to play at that level, and I think that's one of the things that attracted John Robinson and the Titans to him was the fact that He's a solid player. He can give them what they want at that position in rotation with some other guys that they have, and he brings that experience. And likewise, uh, in the secondary, uh, when you look at Logan Ryan, obviously he's coming off the defending Super Bowl champion. So now you've got two guys on defense that have been there, done that, got the rings to help kind of lead this uh, younger group of players that don't have that experience and don't have playoff experience going forward. So I think that's kind of what they were uh, looking for in part with those two signings. But they're both pretty good football players that can help this team uh, from that standpoint as well. And then you look at the other guys that they signed that can help with special teams. And, of course, Cyprian coming in that I think will be an immediate upgrade in the secondary. You know, when you look at his stats, he was a guy that led all safeties in tackles and run support last season so that kind of tells you uh, what he is and he's a guy that uh, will probably play some of that hybrid linebacker uh, position that we saw the Titans use with Damian Stafford last season and can give them that so I think that the Titans we could see them actually draft another safety in this draft to add some depth back there at that position I don't know that I'm going to go with them taking Adams or Hooker in the first round as a lot of the projections have but it would not surprise me to see them pick up a guy, especially maybe if they get back into the second round and there's a guy like Melon Fonwu still on the board with a second-round pick. He's a big, strong guy that really looks like he could be uh, quite a player in the future for some team in this league. You talked about uh, Stafford there a little bit. and Bringing a guy like Cyprian in, what do you think that says for the future of Damian Stafford? Well, it it says that Damien's probably not in the long-term plans, obviously, of this organization moving forward uh, because they're trying to get better. And, of course, John Robinson said this on day one, that anything he could do at any position to make this team better, he wouldn't hesitate to make that move, and we've seen that. He will uh, cut guys, release guys, trade guys, do pretty much whatever he feels like he has to to get this team going forward. And, you know, we're looking really at a potential for this team to be in a similar position to what they were in 1999 to 2003 when they had that window of the really good teams, obviously 99, the Super Bowl team that that lost to the Rams, but they had the window of time there where they were really good and in contention every year. And I think the window cracked just a little bit last year for this team with uh, what we saw from them. Now, certainly – 
they had the benefit of great injury luck with, with the exception of Marcus obviously going down in the next to last game of the season. But overall, they had some pretty good luck with the injuries, which obviously helped the schedule broke in favor of them in a lot of ways that they uh, had some fairly easy games. And, of course, playing in a division uh, that wasn't necessarily great, even though they didn't have a great division record, certainly didn't didn't hurt either. Uh, it's going to be tougher this season, but I think the window's cracked a little bit, and the Titans now have to take the next step, and that comes with this draft of adding some young players that can step in and be real contributors to this team to help them push that window open a little bit further and then try to step into it. Do you see guys like Denoris Cersei uh, in danger of getting cut simply because of the, the cap space? I would not think so. The guy to me at this point in time that would be the most likely veteran cut would be Jason McCourty. Now, certainly the Titans like him. Obviously, he's uh, very big in the community. Uh, you know, he, he's done a lot of things for this team, this organization. But from just a strictly cap number and from where he is physically and what he's gone through the last couple of seasons, if they go out and they were to, say, for instance, draft a um, – cornerback in the first round, either Lattimore or Humphreys or Conley or uh, take your pick, any of those guys that have been mentioned in that first round, you bring them in, you got a guy in LaShawn Sims that they really like that came from, a you know, not a football factory uh, like some of these other guys, but played pretty well down the stretch, and they're looking for him to take a step. So if you draft a guy to play that other corner and then McCourty's in a battle, it could be not a good situation for him. Now, they may well wind up keeping him for depth and experience, but of those guys, I think he's probably the most likely at this point in time, uh, unless they go out and draft a couple of safeties that Denora Cersei would then have to compete with. Yeah, I think maybe he's kind of like bridging the gap a little bit for uh, bringing in Logan Ryan, but if he could somehow maybe take a pay cut, I think that would maybe be the best well, that's something that I think certainly if they approached him about it that he would probably consider uh, doing for this team because Jason's just that type of person. He's uh, he's a team guy. He's not a me guy. And I think he would certainly consider that to help this team, uh, especially if it came down to maybe uh, signing one more piece of the puzzle that might help him get a Super Bowl ring with this organization uh, because, you know, when veterans leave teams, it's not often that they wind up going to really good football teams right away, uh, especially when you're up in age like him, because the veteran teams, the teams with a real opportunity to win a Super Bowl right away, aren't looking for veteran guys that might be at the end of their career, as opposed to guys that are in the middle of their career that are still probably on the ascent. It was something that we did uh, last year uh, Robinson talked a lot about looking for guys who are at that middle part of their career, the 25, 26-year-olds who show some promise, who can still produce, who still have a, you know the ability to go upwards. So that, that's why you don't bring in as many of the older free agents, you know, except for, like you said, if you're looking to bet, bring in some veteran presence or just anybody, you know, help this terrible franchise out, that kind of situation. Uh, one thing I, I was curious about, you know, you talked about possibly bringing in Howard, who would obviously be a mid first round pick. The question has come up, you know, repeatedly about possibly trading around in the draft. Uh, you alluded to it earlier. My thought process on that fifth pick is: Can you really afford to trade back if you don't expect 
to be good, be bad enough to have that high of a pick again? Or are you pr- hoping that you trade for somebody else's first-round pick and they suck enough to get you back up there? Because, like you said, the, the window's begun to open for this team, which means you're going to start drafting later in the draft on a regular basis. Uh, so is this maybe a situation where you take that pick this year because you don't expect to have a chance at that caliber of a player in the draft again for a while, or do you trade back and just build more stock? I would not be surprised, honestly, guys, if the Titans traded back from 5 and 18. I know that may sound a little far-fetched, but uh, I wrote that uh, a couple of uh, days ago and have tweeted that a few times that I wouldn't be surprised that it happened, and some other people are saying the same things because John Robinson has made it clear, draft capital. It's a phrase that he used on day one at at his initial press conference. It's something that the Titans don't necessarily have as much of right now as they want certainly those two first rounders are good but you look there's no second rounder so i know that john wants to get back into that second round and so trading down from five now i don't think he's going to drop too far down out of the out of five i think we're talking probably 11 12 new orleans uh cleveland are are a couple of teams that uh, are, are in that range that might be trade candidates uh to fall back there, but then you look at 18 in this draft, which is just outside of the playoff teams, the teams that, you know, made the playoffs and are drafting at the back end of this, and if one of those teams feels like, hey, there is a player there when the Titans get on the board at 18 that can really be a difference maker. For instance, say O.J. Howard is still on the board, and one of those teams decides, hey, we're a tight end that's his ability away from being a Super Bowl contender, maybe they want to move up and get into that spot to get him, and the Titans could certainly fall back down there, of course, along the way, picking up more picks. Now, I mentioned it a few minutes ago. The new scenario that uh, I've heard today is the fact that Cleveland, who has 11 picks total in this draft, is looking to get back into the first round for a third first-round pick. They have the first pick overall. It's probably going to be Miles Garrett. They have pick number 12. Not sure who they're looking at there, but the rumor is they want a quarterback, and they've talked to the Broncos, the Lions, and the Titans about getting back in and getting that third pick, which means the Titans' 18th pick could be swapped to Cleveland. And then, of course, the Titans would then only have one first-round pick, which I would think uh, they would obviously might keep then at that point at five if they thought they were going to trade down or if they had a deal in place before. But what they would get in return, one of the picks they would get in that deal, if that happened, is 33, which is the Cleveland Browns' first pick in the second round, which is number one overall in that second round. So they would fall from 18 to 33, plus get some more picks as well in the process should that deal take place. And no team has draft capital like the Browns. Um, the the, the next two years they've got over 20 picks it's really impressive what they've managed to build that into now the biggest question is given that it's the Browns can they do anything with those picks can they actually put a team together with the guys that they're going to select out of there absolutely that's always the biggest question with them but I don't think John Robinson would hesitate one second if the Browns gave him enough picks including Uh, 33 now keep in mind too guys this is pick number 18 and the titans traded with cleveland last year to come back up to select jack conklin so pick number 52 in the first round 
was the Titans last year. So could Cleveland potentially package 33 and 52 in the second for 18 and perhaps maybe a, a fifth, sixth, seventh, something in that to, uh, you know, I don't have the draft chart in front of me to look up the values, but certainly I think that would be appealing to John Robinson to get back into the second and get, for instance, 33 certainly I think would be uh, part of that package and then get back 52, which would have been his pick anyway. We're going to uh, now jump into this college football profile. Let's take a look at this Alabama team. Um, and it's it's aged every year now, Greg. So really since Saban has come into Alabama, it's every year. It's just stacked draft classes. And this one's really no different. Um, just from top to bottom, a lot of great players coming out of Alabama. We're going to start here with Reuben Foster, who uh, one of the better players coming off this team and Caused a lot of headlines earlier this season in the combine, earlier this offseason in the combine. And it, it hurt his draft stock for a while, and it really seems like things have smoothed over, and he's, he's coming back up the draft board. Uh, is that what it seems like to you? Well, yes and no. It certainly seems that way because you guys got to remember that a lot of the things that go on at this time of the season is media-driven. You know, you've got all these national uh, – People, ESPN, the NFL Network, they've got all these, quote, draft gurus, the Mel Kuypers of the world that are trying to sell their product. And that product, of course, is mock drafts. Now, we do that, and I've done mock drafts. I've done Titans mock drafts this year. But they're trying to sell that product. So if they can take a controversy with a guy like Reuben Foster, and admittedly he did something stupid in Indianapolis at the Combine, but there's no question about his football ability on the field. So they take that, well, he's slipping. Now they can go ahead and do another mock draft and put him down instead of being a top five potential pick. Maybe they have him at 12, 13, 14, somewhere in that range, and that's a new line of something that people are going to want to read, page hits. And then all of a sudden, okay, he's passed that. Now he's climbing back up in the top five. So a lot of what you hear are media-driven things that don't necessarily reflect what NFL teams are thinking. Now, some teams may have docked him and dropped him down their board because of that, but I don't think that all of them did, and I think you're probably going to see somebody take that guy in the top seven picks. Is he somebody that you would be comfortable with if we did stay at five? Absolutely, because here's the thing, and when you talk about Reuben Foster, I've heard people question his intelligence as far as being able to uh, learn the playbook because perhaps he didn't do so well uh, in some of the interviews there with a uh, chalkboard or a whiteboard in front of him and trying to diagram and draw out plays. But when you listen to Nick Saban and what Saban said about the guy, he learns differently. And for fans, uh, the best example that I can come up with from having talked to some people that I know in Tuscaloosa is that he's kind of like what you saw from Michael Orr in the Blind Side movie, whereas Michael couldn't learn the playbook per se. He's a visual learner. He had to see it. Foster is a film room junkie from all reports from people there that know him and are close to the program, and he watches film and he learns that way. He's not going to take the book or the iPad and learn it the same way a lot of guys are. So you have to make a little bit of an acceptance or an allowance for him to be able to do it the way he needs to to learn it. But there's no debating the production that the guy had when he got on the football field. And he's a three-down linebacker. And certainly my first mock draft, he was the guy I had the Titans taken at five because 
I honestly don't think this team is locked in to having to take a cornerback or a wide receiver in that first round. They can take the best player that can help this team regardless of position with the exception, of course, of probably offensive line. I don't think they're going there in the first. But any other position, I really think they can go ahead and take best player available and then look to fill those needs in the mid-rounds. Yeah, and, you know, disruptive is a word you hear John Robinson use a lot where he looks for guys who are disruptive athletes, disruptive players, where they – like a like a uh, Carl Klug, somebody who can go in there and make things happen, make a game-changing play, which you know, Foster is known for. He, he blows people up if they catch the ball over the middle or if the, the running back's coming through the hole. He's there, and he's just crushing them. So he is a game-changer in that sense. He has gotten some uh, – questions about him for like the the shoulder stingers by poor tackling form and things like that and what you just said about his learning style uh it makes me think um one of the questions you hear about him is his instincts are average do you think it's a not so much of a instinct issue is a function of learning his responsibilities via you know playbook versus watching film and having to learn that way that maybe change the way he views the game when he's out there playing it, and so maybe it just looks like his instincts are a little off. No, I think his instincts improved, and obviously I'm a guy that's watched Reuben Foster uh, throughout his career when he came in early uh, as a top recruit. He was a five-star kid out of Auburn High School coming into to Alabama and played on special teams. He had some big hits uh, that you saw on the highlight reel, but when he would get on the field, you could see he was – thinking more than reacting. And when you go back and look at his film from his final season, you can see the difference in the improvement. He's still a guy that is probably trying to figure out and play his best football is certainly still in front of him. And there's a story about this kid that a lot of people don't know too. He's had a pretty rough life. His father, his actual biological father, shot his mother and shot him when he was just 19 months old. So he's overcome a lot to get to this point in time in his life where he is right now. And that's a story that you haven't heard a lot about uh, when talking about Foster, uh, you know, the the part about his dad there. But I really think that he's got some good football in front of him. He just has to find a team that will take him and allow him to learn the way he learns and then let him grow. And he's going to be a pretty doggone good football player. A lot of people, you know, the other big name on the inside linebackers out of this draft is Zach Cunningham. A lot of people have these two rated pretty similarly. Uh, how would you rate them comparatively, and, and how big of the gap do you think it, there is between Foster and Cunningham? Athletically, Cunningham might be a little bit better athletically overall. And if you go back and watch the one particular play that really stands out, that was the Auburn game where uh, late in the ball game, he literally jumped the offensive line to block an extra point in that game that kept Vandy in a position to have a chance to win a game at Auburn. So athletically, he's a little bit better. I think Foster is perhaps a little bit bigger, thicker. Cunningham, uh, even though he's very muscular, he's a little bit on the slight side to me. And, of course, obviously Vanderbilt is in the SEC, but when you look at the competition level that the two teams played, certainly Foster's been on the big stage a lot more uh, than Cunningham was in his career. So those are the real 
main differences to me between those two guys. And Cunningham wouldn't be a bad pick, I don't think, for the Titans. I think he's got all the athletic ability, as I mentioned, uh, to do that. Foster has played a little bit more football uh, at, a, at a higher level because obviously playing more games every year with being in semifinals and championship games has allowed him the opportunity to get a little bit more big game experience. Next up, Greg, I want to talk about uh, Jonathan Allen. How much does his shoulder injury concern you? And for me, I wanted to say that, you know, he's probably the most up and down I've seen in, in, in all the different mock drafts. I've seen him go anywhere from one through five all the way up to 11, 12, or 13. Um, what are your thoughts on him? The shoulder doesn't bother me at all because uh, based on what I've seen and a couple of uh, NFL scouts that I've talked to uh, from different teams, the doctors say it's not an issue that should cause him any serious problem. He's played through it uh, you know, in his time there at Alabama and played at a high level and Obviously, I think some teams might have some question about it, but there's going to be a team that's going to say, okay, we believe the doctors, obviously, it's not an issue. This guy can flat-out play. And let me tell you, as somebody that's met him and had the opportunity to talk to him a few years ago uh, down there in Tuscaloosa, in fact, he was a high school senior on a recruiting visit. Uh, and the game that I was there was the game that uh, Alabama lost to Texas A&M and Johnny Manziel. Uh, there in uh, Tuscaloosa, and Allen was there on a recruiting visit. He is a really great kid, very smart, uh, and uh, he's going to come in and be a heck of a football player for somebody. And if the Titans decide that he's on the board at five and he's too good to pass up, you know, you look at his production and you match him up on one side with Jarrell Casey on the other, and then Arakpo and Morgan on the outside, you've got a pretty good front seven right there. That's a pretty good addition that uh, I think that the Titans – would be okay with uh, if he were there and they did decide to go ahead and pull the trigger and make that pick. I've seen some questions on uh, Jonathan Allen just as far as his ability to be a 3-4 in, uh, just because he is a little bit shorter than what some people talk about. Well, at 6-3, I think he's plenty tall. Uh, I, I think the bigger question is about his reach and his lateral quickness and just his overall uh, size. He's listed at 286, which you know is big enough generally. But when you start talking about the, the three-man front, you're usually talking 300-plus pounders. Uh, do you think that putting him as a 3-4 end, obviously on the other side of Casey, and then, as you said, with uh, Morgan and Arakpo on the outside, you can't just pay attention to him. So he wouldn't be as subject to double teams um, as he might be on another 3-4 team. But do you think that would be a concern for uh, the Titans for drafting him? Because obviously, you know, if he fell to five, the value's there. A tremendous player to pick up at five. But as far as fit goes is my question. I don't think it's an issue, and I'll just say this. I know he's not an every-down player, but Jonathan Allen and Carl Klug are fairly similar uh, in their body uh, composition. And obviously Allen with much higher production in college than what Klug had. Klug's had a very solid uh, NFL career and certainly is an NFL-worthy player. But I don't really have a concern with that because, as you said, one of the things is with having the guys that they would have with Casey and Williams and then you've uh, got Daquan Jones and uh, I I'm going blank on a couple other names on the defensive line uh, right now. Uh, Angelo Blackson, that was the other one I was trying to think of, uh, for the Titans. You would have a nice rotation there. And certainly uh, Allen has 
as you said, some of those limitations. But if you put enough good guys up there, he's going to get one-on-one, and he's going to be able to do some things and win some things because the guy's just a football player in my estimation. And you go back and look through the annals of the NFL, how many guys have been undersized this or uh, you know, had some limitation but have been outstanding football players because they're just football players? Which is exactly why I asked that question, because there's always somebody saying, well, he's not the prototype. He's not what that position has become. And you, you get people who just they knock guys down a level because they don't fit a mold, and that's the mold is all they can think about. There are so many different ways to get things done. You know, Jarrell Casey is not a huge guy compared to a lot of 3-4 defensive ends, and yet he's one of the most effective guys out there. It's, it's always good to have somebody else come on and help people understand that you don't have to be the prototype to be a really productive and effective player. Absolutely. That's the key. And John Robinson, I think, understands that. And if he feels like this guy is a player that can help his team, I don't think he's going to have any concern about short arms or a lack of reach or or whatever other things uh, that will be there. I think his biggest concern with the guy would probably be the shoulders. And if he's satisfied with the doctor's – assessment of that then I think we could see this guy become a Titans if if he's there at that spot and if John Robinson likes him and and wants to go that route I've seen a lot of people compare Allen to uh, Fletcher Cox how do you do you think that's an apt um, uh, comparison to an NFL player you know it's really hard for me to compare college players with NFL players because uh, especially a guy like Cox who's been in the league for a few years and you've seen what he's been able to do. Uh, you can look at them and say physically, yes, they compare uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, Allen, obviously, a, a better college career, uh, you know, obviously from the hardware that he won, but he also played with a much better football team. He had a lot of good guys around him uh, on that uh, Alabama defense that allowed him to be single covered a lot of times. So I don't really like to do that and try to compare guys at this point in time uh, coming out of college into the NFL with guys that have established in the league. But I can see some similarities there where people could say that definitely. If you're on uh, John Robinson and you're on the clock and you got Reuben Foster and Jerry, or sorry, Reuben Foster and Allen there, and you have to make a choice, uh, where would you lean right now? That's a great question and a tough question. Uh, if I couldn't trade back, if I'm at five, I would probably go with Reuben Foster for the simple reason that I think the Titans are stronger in the defensive line right now than they are at linebacker, in particular inside linebacker. Uh, you've got uh, Avery Williamson, who's a solid uh, NFL inside linebacker. You've got Wesley Woodyard, who's on the backside of his career uh, as an inside linebacker and not a lot of great depth there. So if I had to pick one of those two guys at five, I would take Foster simply because I think the need is greater at the inside linebacker position right now than at the defensive line position. But that's certainly not a knock against Allen and does not mean that I wouldn't take him. Uh, I just, if I were put in that position and had to go one of the two, uh, I would go for that reason. Yeah, I'm thinking if both those players are there, you wouldn't have too much trouble trading back if that's what you wanted to do. Oh, absolutely not. And I can tell you John Robinson wants to trade back at some point, 
some kind of way uh, to to get back into that second round. He's pretty much uh, said that a couple of times, maybe not openly in media settings, but uh, certainly with his history and what he said throughout his time and then a couple conversations, he, he's looking to make a deal. Yeah, I think that that, is, that reputation has been established. Everybody knows that it's on the block. Whatever it is you want to talk about, he's going to listen. He's going to take it seriously. We can make a deal. That's going to be who John Robinson is as a uh, as a GM, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's no doubt about that. So uh, he could probably trade back, but you know, like I said, if I'm stuck with it, can't make a trade for the reason I said. I go Foster, but certainly uh, you couldn't go wrong. I don't think with either one of those guys. Yeah, and I agree. I think Foster's the bigger impact player for this team because he fits right into the rotation, and then Woodard's on his way out, so he, he's the next guy up. And speaking of Guys who are getting a little bit older and the next guy up. Uh, O.J. Howard's the next guy I want to talk about. Um, I'm a big proponent of the uh, two tight end sets. It helps balance out the defense, lets you do different things with your offense from the same set, and just forces defenses to, uh, to, to be balanced and they can't cheat as much because you've got two tight ends out there. And a guy like O.J. Howard uh, coming in, obviously we have Delaney Walker, one of the very best in the league. You add the easily the best tight end from this draft class, put him on the other side of uh, Delaney Walker, and defensive coordinators will be up all night trying to figure out what the heck they're going to do about this. Uh, What are your strengths, weaknesses on uh, Howard? Well, the the only negative that you can find on the guy is perhaps production in the fact that he didn't catch that many footballs and didn't score that many touchdowns at Alabama because – uh, a lot of the system and things that they did, and obviously two years ago with Derrick Henry, uh, you know, that guy got the bulk of the offensive workload uh, throughout the course of the season. So Howard didn't have great numbers. But you go back and look at two game films in particular, the two championship games against Clemson, and see what go. the guy can do on a big stage against a very good football team with a lot of NFL players on it. Uh, two years ago, the Clemson team had a lot of guys uh, drafted, they're going to have a lot of guys come off this team. There's going to be some other guys probably next year uh, off that team that played that will uh, be in the NFL draft. So while his production numbers weren't terrific overall throughout his career as far as terms of number of catches and things, the athleticism is there, the blocking is there, and this guy with his speed at tight end can certainly stretch the field. And here's another thing to me. You're looking at receivers, and certainly I think the Titans will draft some receivers, but he's a guy at six foot six and 250-some pounds that you could also split out. You know, you've still got Philip Supernaw that you mentioned. You can go two tight ends with uh, Walker and Supernaw in line and then put Howard as a wide receiver. He may be matched up on a corner, but at six six with his speed and athleticism, he can do some things there. So he can certainly provide you with more than just a tight end, in my opinion, and the way the Titans like to do this smash mouth, exotic smash mouth, you know, they can be exotic with wide receivers as well. And I think he's certainly a guy that could give you the ability to do that. I was going to say, at six foot six, he's, he's definitely a different style of player than uh, Walker. The, one of the things that Saban did say about him was that he didn't get enough chances. They didn't use him to his uh, ability in the, their offensive scheme because they didn't have necessarily the right quarterback. And then the year before, like you said, it was all about Henry, so they were running the ball. Uh, He never got a chance to really show what he can do. I think there's a lot of upside here, 
and he's an even better tight end than we think he is just because he hasn't had a chance to prove it to anybody. Oh, absolutely. I think that uh, that is, is a great assessment of things. And, uh, you know, when you, when you look at Alabama and the, tight, and the talent that they have, uh, there was nobody, with the exception, obviously, I guess, of Derrick Henry, uh, that was going to dominate play for that team. And we saw this past season that uh, the offense was certainly more balanced. You know, they, they did have a 1,000-yard rusher. They ran the football a lot, but they also uh, kind of spread the ball around more with receivers. And so with the amount of talent that they had, you can see where Howard didn't necessarily have the opportunity as a tight end to be the alpha guy with the offense. And, and when you look and you see a guy like Calvin Ridley, uh, the receiver on the outside, and some of the other guys that they've had uh, there, uh, you know, they, they kind of play to the strength of one player every year. You go back, look, Julio Jones was a big guy when he was there, Amari Cooper. Uh, Ridley came in, had a big year. Derrick Henry at running back. Of course, Ingram won a Heisman as a running back. So uh, it's easy to understand why Howard didn't have the, the big production numbers in, in that system, in that school with the talent that they have there. Before Jake Butt was injured out of, you know, Jake Butt tight end out of Michigan, a lot of people had him ahead of Howard as as the top guy coming out, and then the injury obviously drops him back. Do you think, from what we've seen with Howard's workouts and, you know, as we get closer to the draft, if Jake Butt was healthy, would you still put Howard above him? You know, you could go 1A and 1B with those two, and I don't know that you could be wrong in either, or I think Howard probably – uh, faster uh, with the 40 time. Obviously, I don't know what uh, Butt's 40 time was or what he might have uh, been able to produce there were it not for the injury. I'm going to give probably give Howard the, the speed advantage, but I think everything else is pretty much even with the two. And, you know, who, you know, who go, how do you go wrong with that when you have two guys that are certainly that talented? And then you look at the other tight ends, there's a couple of other. Uh, tight ends there the the kid out of Miami and then the Evan Ingram uh, out of uh, Ole Miss that are certainly uh, very talented tight ends as well that maybe are just a notch below not that far but a little bit below what Howard is and and what Butt might have been prior to the injury so uh, you know it's really hard to compare those types of things and it's all subjective uh, as to who you talk to and who they prefer and why they prefer them. Next up, Greg, I wanted to talk about uh, Marlon Humphrey. And in my opinion, I think his stock has risen uh, a little bit more lately than it has when, when we first started the, the evaluation process. I'm actually against going corner early just because of how deep it is. But let's just say we did trade back from maybe the 18th pick to, like you said, 33 or something. Do you see him being there? And how comfortable would you be taking somebody like that? He's Probably a guy that might be there in the 18 range. I could be surprised. I've seen some mock drafts that had him uh, go 12, 13. You know, he's a guy that I'm not quite that comfortable with. Uh, Certainly the physical ability is there. The speed is there. The pedigree being Bobby Humphrey's uh, son is there. But he's a guy that, for me, being somebody that watched every single Alabama game uh, throughout the course of his career, there were times when he was beaten in college by what I would say were average receivers. You know, he didn't go up against Amari Cooper uh, every week or guys of that caliber like he's going to see in the NFL, and he gave up some plays. Now, 
certainly I think he's a younger guy. Uh, he's a junior coming out, and he can mature and, and become better. The physical talent is there, but he scares me a little bit, especially for a high draft pick. If the Titans got him at 18, that might be okay. If the Titans traded down from 18 and perhaps he was on the board and you get him at 21, 22, I'd probably be okay with that. But certainly not a guy, especially at five, uh, because, like I said, uh, he, he kind of scares me a little bit because I've seen him play quite a bit, and uh, he did have a tendency to give up some plays to some guys that weren't exactly NFL talent. Yeah, watching Humphrey, he reminds me a lot of the Titans cornerbacks from this last year. He's really bad about not getting his head around and playing the ball. He plays the man too much. Um, so, like you said, he gives up plays because he's not looking for where the ball is, and he's even at 18, I think it's too high for him. He, he's at best, a late first-rounder to me. Uh, I understand why people want him higher because he's got potential. He's got the measurables that you look for. But like like you said, it's, he showed a, a propensity to get himself out of position to make his move too early or too late because he's watching the man instead of getting his head around looking at the ball. Or Even when the receiver turns, he doesn't always turn with it. He just kind of runs through the receiver trusting on just getting in the way and disrupting the catch as opposed to turning and making a play on it. I agree with that. And, uh, you know, if if I'm looking at Alabama for a guy that I want to draft in the secondary, uh, there's two guys. One of them's not in this this draft this year. He'll be there next year. That's Minka Fitzpatrick. I think he's a much better all-around player than Humphreys. But in this year's draft, if you're looking for a guy from Alabama, it's Eddie Jackson, the safety. Now, he's not a first-round pick but he's a guy that I really like and can do a lot of things, including uh, being a punt returner, which he did and did it very effectively uh, for Alabama. So he's a guy that I think you could look at in the maybe second round if they get back in or even the third round. He's coming off a broken leg. But uh, to me, he's a guy that I would be more uh, willing to draft as an Alabama player out of the secondary than I would be Marlon Humphreys, even though Humphreys has the physical ability and that physical ability is first-round ability. I'm just not sold on him 100%. A lot of people have talked about him uh, you know, being more of an athlete than a football player. And you, you've talked about it a little bit here. How he's, you're not quite comfortable with him. Would you say that that label of being more of an athlete than a football player would be adequate for Humphrey? I would. You know, you go back and look. This guy also ran track at Alabama. He was a 100- and 400-meter hurdles guy. I mean, he's got, uh, you know, Olympic-type ability in that event. Now, uh, obviously, he's going to the NFL. There's no uh, thought of him, you know, trying to pursue that and go into the Olympics, but he certainly has the talent to do that and did it at a high level competing in the SEC. So certainly athlete would be a very good uh, way to describe him. And perhaps, you know, he's one of those guys that has uh, rested on that athletic ability a little bit more than maybe some other guys. And maybe if he uh, can translate that athletic ability into football ability and complete the package, then you might certainly have an outstanding football player there. I think he'll be a very good pro. But, again, at this point in time, it it just scares me a little bit because of the things that we've talked about with him. And you just touched on Eddie Jackson there. He's a guy that I've mocked to us a few times in the third round. I'm not sure that I was comfortable taking him even at that point just because of – what we've done with our safety position already, but I agree that I'd be happier with him and his coverage skills than I would with Humphrey at the top of the first. 
and he's a leader too. You know, this is a guy that uh, when he got hurt, uh, you can go back and look at the players' uh, Tribune page and, and read the letter that he wrote to his teammates about, uh, you know, what it was like to all of a sudden have it ripped away from him there with the injury and not being able to complete his final year uh, playing college football. I think he brings a lot of intangibles to the table as a football player. Again, obviously, yes, we do have a loaded uh, group at safety right there, but certainly I think a guy that could contribute something. And he's a guy that also played some corner in college early on uh, coming in because of the athletic ability, he even played some wide receiver. Now, I don't think he's going to be a wide receiver in the NFL, but a guy that has some corner experience, has that type of athletic ability, we know how much John Robinson and this staff value guys that are versatile, and I think that's something that could intrigue them in those middle rounds. You talked a little bit about here the injury. Uh, so I have a two-part question for you here, Greg. How much does that worry you about his future, and uh, how well has he been getting back from that injury? Yeah, he, he actually he got his leg broke on a punt return uh, in the Texas A&M game. And so uh, the break wasn't bad enough that it required surgery, or at least uh, it wasn't reported. The initial reports were it weren't bad. It wasn't bad enough that he needed surgery. So it was just a regular broken leg. And I'm pretty sure probably he's going to be 100%, certainly by the time training camp rolls around. So I don't think there'll be any issue with the, with the injury part as far as he's concerned. Have you heard at all where he's at right now in his rehabilitation of that leg, the broken leg? The only person that I've talked to uh, about him that that we mentioned him said he looked good. He's running. Uh, he's doing you know things that he would be doing to get ready to go into uh, the NFL draft. I don't think that anybody has uh, put a clock on him to time him in the forty or anything like that. Uh, but I don't think it's uh, that big of a concern for anybody because it was uh, pretty much a just a simple broken leg that you know, it's going to take six, eight, ten weeks, whatever, to heal, and then you're back to, you know, trying to just get stronger and, and get back into condition, which I think would probably be the biggest thing, getting back into football shape after being down for, you know, six to ten or 12 weeks, whatever the case may be, uh, before he could get back off that uh, cast and get back to walking and running again. Greg, I'm going to keep it defense. Um Let's talk about Tim Williams, the linebacker. Now, he's a guy that I haven't seen a lot of. Uh, from what I have seen, he was very impressive against Clemson. Uh, but he didn't test so great at the Combine. Do you think that's uh, something teams should, should be concerned about, or does the, does the game film speak for itself? I think they're more concerned about the off-the-field issues than they are the on-the-field issues. And I'm not going to, to go out and uh, – say a lot about uh, what I've been told about the situation with Tim Williams because I was told that in confidence but uh, there's reports out there about things he certainly uh, had some uh, off the field issues there that uh, have the concern of the NFL guys more so think Randy Gregory and I'll leave it at that as to what his situation is and, and what he's kind of dealt with there Hopefully he'll get that straightened out because he certainly has the ability, even though, as you said, he didn't test well uh, initially. I think he had a pretty good pro day, uh, but the production speaks for itself. But he's more of a situational guy, too. You know, I don't know that he's going to come in and be an every-down linebacker. He's a guy that can come in and 
sometimes put his hand in the dirt, sometimes line up uh, as an outside linebacker in a 3-4 and give you a great pass rush off the edge. And while I think he's got some value and a place in the NFL for a team, I don't know that he's got a place with the Titans right now because I don't think that they can afford to waste a, a pick uh, and I don't, I'm not saying it would be wasted, but certainly not a first-rounder. And if they had a second-rounder on a guy that's a situational player that's going to come in and maybe play uh, you know, 10, 15 snaps in a, in a football game as a situational uh, edge rusher for you. A lot of people have said that they think Tim Williams has a very high ceiling uh, if he can you know, work out the off-the-field stuff. Do you think – that ceiling, you were just saying he could be a situational player. Do you think if he does get the off-the-field stuff figured out that his ceiling is higher than situational? Yeah, obviously. I, I think a lot of guys you know, come in early on and they're situational guys and can get better and become more. But, again, that, that off-the-field stuff and what I was told that uh, he's gone through, it's not been just one incident. There have been multiple incidents with him. They didn't always make the news or, or the headlines uh, because Nick Saban runs a pretty tight uh, ship as far as the media and a lot of information getting out. It was pretty much commonly known around town uh, that there were issues, but it was not, not things that were uh, widely reported on. So that really concerns me because, uh, you know, if it's been multiple incidents that, uh, you know, can he overcome those things? So that would be the first thing. Uh, that would scare me away. Can he become more than situational? Yes. But as you said, he's got to overcome that off-the-field stuff to begin with. And so I think that he, of all the Alabama players, might be the guy that takes the biggest tumble of that group. And uh, speaking of the off-the-field kind of things, John Robinson's on record as saying he's not looking for choir boys, but that's kind of one of those pushing-the-line things, particularly when you have a, a woman this high in the ownership group. Do you think that the Titans look at certain players like this? Like uh, we last time we did the show, we were talking about Joe Mixon and uh, D.D. Westbrook. They both have uh, violence against women issues in their past. Uh, obviously, we don't need Joe Mixon, but uh, Westbrook's a guy that I've looked at before. He, he's an explosive player. He's got a lot to add to a team. But do you think that's something that the Titans are willing to look past? Uh, not, not speaking just about Tim, but in general about players. Do you think that, you know, beyond the choir boy aspect of it that John Robinson said, is that something that the Titans are likely to take a stand on? I think they will. And here's the thing when you look at that. If you had the opportunity to go back today and know what you know about Lawrence Taylor, uh, the off-the-field issues that he had versus the production that he had, you probably draft a Lawrence Taylor for what he can give you on the field. But short of being able to, to know something like that, and go back and look at it, I think that uh, guys like Tim Williams, guys like Joe Mixon probably are too much for Robinson. Westbrooks might be a guy. I'm not 100% uh, familiar with his uh, situation and all of the details of it. I've certainly read up and, and know more about the Mixon situation. Don't have to be a choir boy, but it helps if you can give them great production on the field. And, and if those guys can do that, then – Probably so, but again, I think Williams probably too much baggage. Mixon probably too much baggage. Westbrooks might be a guy with because of his production and his ability that would get their attention and maybe have a shot to be drafted by this team. You said that you think Williams is going to slide in this draft. Where do you think he comes off the board? 
I wouldn't say I would say that he probably won't fall any further than the second round. Somebody's going to take him in at least that second 32, uh, even with those issues, uh, because right now, unless it hasn't been reported and he failed a drug test at the combine uh, that would get the NFL then, uh, you know, in the doghouse where he's looking at uh, possible suspension right off the bat, he's going to come in with a clean slate as far as that goes. And so I would think probably second round, somebody certainly will take him because of that ability. Yeah, he is a ferocious pass rusher. Going to the other side of that of the line, looking at the offensive line, uh, Cam Robinson, he was a uh, top five recruit coming out of high school. Sky was the limit for him. It seems like he didn't progress as much in college as we thought he would have. He's had weight issue troubles. Uh, he's had problems with his balance. He, he gets out of position in pass blocking. Where do you think he is as far as draftable? And do you think that once he becomes a pro, those issues kind of get fixed and he moves up and becomes a solid starter for somebody? I think he'll be a solid starter. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I think he's going to be a future Hall of Famer. I think there's a lot of guys that have come in in the last few years that I would uh, much prefer drafting over Cam Robinson if they were in this draft. He's, if not the top, the two or three best probably tackles in this particular draft class. But as you said, he's got some issues. He was beaten at times. He struggled in games against a lesser competition, and certainly not to knock any of those guys, but when you're playing Kent State, and he had some troubles in that game, giving up a couple of pressures and a sack. Uh, you, you know, you, you look at that and go, this is a guy that's a first-round draft pick. He shouldn't have anybody from Kent State, and no disrespect intended to any of those guys at all, but he shouldn't be giving up those kind of plays to guys that are playing at a lower level in football. And that's that's not to sound arrogant. It's just the fact when you look at it, you know. You, you can't give up those kind of plays and, and expect to be dominant. Now, can he correct those things? Yes. I think anybody that comes in and wants to have the work ethic and do the things that NFL coaches want him to do can correct it. He has the physical ability to be a dominant left tackle, but right now I'm just going to say he's probably just going to be a good tackle and not a great one at this point in time, and hope the guy proves me wrong. Yeah, as strong as last year's offensive line class was, this one is the opposite. It's almost like the offensive line and the tight ends a switch position. Uh, last year was you know one of the best offensive line classes you've seen in a while, and the tight end position was terrible last year. And this year, it's the opposite. It was possibly one of the best tight end classes we'll ever see, at least on paper at this point. And the offensive line you know group is really suspect. If you're looking for a left tackle, I don't think you can find him in this draft this year. You can probably find a right tackle like you're talking about here, but he may not be ready for a year or two. That's true. And just to go a step further and not to, to pick them because they're Titans, but uh, if uh, Robinson, Lewan, and Conklin were all in this same draft, I'd take either one of those guys, Conklin or Lewan, as my left tackle before I'd uh, take Robinson uh, at this point in time because I think both of those guys coming out of college were better football players at this point than what Cam Robinson is. The talent's there for Robinson, and he had moments where he was dominant, but he had a lot of moments where he struggled too. And I just, you know, if I were the Titans and in the market for a tackle, uh, I might try to pull off a trade rather than draft one of these guys at this point in time because I don't think 
I would want any of them to come in right away and be my starter. Though, again, uh, prove me wrong. I'm, I'm not against any of these guys. I hope they all come in and have great careers. But uh, just from my viewpoint of looking at it, uh, as you said, this is a this is a weak tackle class, and uh, not really anybody that I would want is certainly in a, in the first round and try to bring them in because a first round tackle is going to have to come in and play right away. We were talking about some red flags with some guys earlier. Uh, Robinson, you know, for those who don't know, was arrested with a teammate and they had marijuana and a stolen handgun in the vehicle. How much do you think that is going to affect his draft stock? Um, you know, when his time comes. Well, it could with some teams. I think it's one of those things where, other than that one incident, he was a fairly model citizen. There wasn't a lot of other baggage with him uh, while he was there. And, of course, those charges were dropped uh, because of some legal technicalities that uh, you know we won't get into, some questions about some things uh, involving that. So I don't think that it's going to hurt him that much because, again, a team that really desperately needs a, a tackle to come in uh, will probably overlook that stuff because, as you said, you know they're not all choir boys. And so if that's the worst thing that the guy's got, that's certainly ahead of, a, say, Joe Mixon or, or Westbrook's guys that have convictions or have at least uh, certainly uh, violent uh, issues uh, on their resume coming in. Yeah, Westbrook's isn't quite the same level as Mixon's. He uh, had an altercation with, I believe it was his pregnant girlfriend back in high school, and the whole town kind of covered it up. And it just took a reporter going there and kind of forcing it, forcing the story out. But he, he's been a model citizen, like you're saying, with Cam here. is It's one of those things where they, they've shown that they can make the change. It's going to be a much tougher road for a guy like Mixon, who's got that on tape and while it wasn't a domestic violence situation, it was a fight that ended very, very ugly and put him in a really bad spot for his entire life at this point. Uh, absolutely. It certainly did. And, uh, you know, you, you mentioned Westbrook. And again, like I said earlier, I didn't really go back and study his situation that much. Uh, something happened in high school. You know, how many of us can go back and look at high school and in our early years and, and say, if not for a, a little luck here or there, maybe we might have gotten into some type of trouble. Now, not necessarily the same type of trouble, but, you know, we, we've all probably had a moment in time where uh, we could have potentially put ourselves in a bad spot. And obviously overcoming that being a model citizen while at Oklahoma, uh, you know, certainly does a lot to repair uh, any negatives that a team might have from him when they found out about that situation. And, of course, as you said, Mixon, more violent and more recent, uh, really hurts him. Yeah, by the way, Glenn, two more Oklahoma players were arrested over the weekend. I don't know if you heard. Honestly, I ignored the news. <laughs> <laughs> My alma mater is not a factory of choir boys. I don't know what else to tell you, man. We got some problems, obviously. Our, you know, Even our, our quarterback, Scott, got himself arrested. It's it's This is what I call the season is stupid. I call it that for the NFL. I call it for college, too. Guys who are athletes that are used to getting treated like they're special and getting special favors all the time finally have a full day free to just do whatever the heck they want. You know, even college students, as soon as that weekend rolls up, they're out there partying and enjoying their celebrity. Uh, some of these guys are partying really hard because they know that come the NFL, they won't be a celebrity anymore. And the season is stupid. It claims people every year. You use guys just go out there and get in trouble doing dumb things. Because they've got money or they've got, you know, 
influencers. He's got people around them want the party with him, be associated with him, and it leads them into spots where they otherwise may not have ended up in. Yeah, and speaking of which, Greg, I don't know if you heard, I'm sure you had, that uh, Deshaun Watson was in Tuscaloosa uh, about a week ago, and uh, it it hasn't been confirmed, but they believe that Ryan Williams, linebacker, was uh, instigating a situation, I guess, where they were were, uh, heckling him after his meal and and telling him that he better leave the bar before, you know, something something jumps off. I don't know if you heard about that or not, but if you had, uh, what did you think about that? Well, it was uh, two two Alabama players, uh, Ryan Anderson, as you mentioned, and Wallace Gilberry. And Gilberry, I would have to go back and look. The years run together. He played on one of the other Alabama championship teams uh, recently, has been in the NFL. A lot of these guys go back and spend a lot of time in Tuscaloosa uh, during the off season. And Ryan Anderson came out and actually said that it's not the way that the video portrayed it, that there were some students. And now this bar that they were in, I know exactly where it is. It's not far from uh, Bryant-Denny Stadium there in Tuscaloosa. It's on what's called the Strip, which is not far from the campus and the stadium. And it's a student hangout. And according to Ryan Anderson, now I wasn't there and have not been able to find and talk to anybody that was there, but Anderson says it's not what it seemed because some of the other students were there and they were involved in some heckling and some incidents with Deshaun Watson. And Anderson, according to his story in Gilberry, went over to Deshaun and said, hey, let's get you out of here before something happens. You know, one of these idiot drunk kids decides to take a swing at you. You're in a fight and it hurts your NFL draft stock because you've been in a barroom brawl down here because of this now is that 100 percent true i don't know but that's ryan anderson's story it's a solid spin if it is true and i can see where that would be possible because when you look at a lot of these teams and certainly uh, you know anderson and deshaun watson played against each other two years in a row in the national championship game they probably know each other a little bit they may not be best of friends but i could certainly make a case and I'm not trying to defend them because if, if Anderson and, and Gilberry were involved in this and, and did anything to, to cause an issue, they were certainly wrong. And anybody that was involved that did something wrong, I would tell them they're wrong, but it's certainly a plausible excuse for what, uh, you know, what might have happened. Uh, and you could certainly say that, you know, it, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that that's indeed what those guys were doing, trying to get him out of there before some of the other, you know, people there that didn't have anything to lose that were there sucking up alcohol, you know, might have caused an issue for the kid. Yeah. I, I don't know what Deshaun was even doing down there. I'm just glad he was smart enough to get up and walk away from that. Yeah, it was, you know, he's a, he's free to go anywhere he wants to. But if I'm going to be the quarterback of Clemson and I just beat Alabama to win the national championship and I go to Tuscaloosa, I don't think I'm going to go hang out in a student bar near campus because there's plenty of other places there in Tuscaloosa that you can go eat and get a really good meal that doesn't serve alcohol and that you would not necessarily be subjected to a lot of students that might be there drunk and trying to cause a problem. Yeah, anytime you go out of town and you go to another campus's, uh, you know, the, the, the main strip, the main area where the guys hang out at, if you're from another school, particularly a rival school, and like you said, someone who just beat you for national championship, as soon as you go down there, you have to know someone's going to be drunk and someone's going to say something. 
Yeah, that's why I said, you know, you go to you go to an O'Charlie's or a Chili's or something like that. And even then I know those serve alcohol, but there's several other places. If you wanted something, uh, you know, local that, you know, is not a chain place, Dreamland Barbecue, that's the, the most famous probably restaurant in Tuscaloosa. Uh, you know, you go there. They don't serve alcohol there. Uh, you, you go to that place because it's usually an older crowd. You get a great meal, you have fun, you visit the people that, you know, whoever you're in town to visit, and you don't put yourself in a situation where you're that near campus with that many students, especially if you're a high-profile guy as visible and had his face in the, in the media for as long as Deshaun Watson. Now, if you're the third-string Clemson tight end, you didn't play much in the ball game. nobody knows who you are, you can go where you want. Yeah, like I said, the season of stupid. <laughs> People just, they don't think about what's, what they're getting themselves involved in, and then they walk into these situations. Um, getting back to the Alabama players, uh, Ryan Anderson, he's coming out. He, uh, he's a fairly thick-bodied guy. Uh, he's an outside linebacker. He, he's someone who's going to probably be more of a 4-3 guy, but could be a rush guy in the 3-4. Uh, tell us a little bit more about him. Solid player, not spectacular. Uh, improved as a player, as you would expect to, to be able to play at a place like Alabama with what they produce over the course of his career. His speed got better. He got a little bit faster uh, there towards the end and, and certainly made some big plays. You know, he was the guy that turned in the interception uh, return for the touchdown against Washington in the Peach Bowl in the semifinal game. So he's got some athletic ability. I think he can play outside linebacker in a 4-3 or a 3-4. I think he might even be a guy that you look at. Some team says, hey, because of this body size, we can move him inside and make him an inside linebacker and use him maybe not three downs, but certainly a first and second down guy when you've got the potential uh, you know, to, to play against the run. He could line up and give you some, some plays off the edge. He could even put his hand in the dirt as he did sometimes and played defensive end in certain positions or, or situations as a pass rusher. So, again, another guy with a little bit of versatility. Uh, Mid-round guy, I would say probably no higher than the third round uh, would be where I would look for him to go and maybe even uh, a little bit lower that, the, the fourth round. Probably uh, that's as low as I – I think he'll probably go third or fourth. Uh, a, a solid guy that can certainly help a team, but he's not going to be spectacular, uh, but he can give you something. The one big praise I heard a lot for Anderson is his football IQ. Every time I think I hear about this kid, someone talks about his high football IQ. Uh, and you talked about it possibly moving inside. You know, obviously uh, playing in the inside linebacker in the NFL, you have to have that high football IQ. Do you think, um, you know, that having that trait makes that move possible at the next level? I do. I think he, he would be good at that again. He's decent in coverage, uh, but uh, the way Alabama used their outside linebackers uh, in, in coverage, they, they played a lot of zone with those guys, and that's kind of where the, the play, the touchdown against Washington in that uh, Chick-fil-A, or the Peach Bowl, excuse me, uh, came from was just kind of being in the right place at the right time uh, to, to make that play. So I don't know how good he would be playing inside if he gets manned up on a tight end, uh, especially a, a really fast tight end. Now, you know, some guys he, he might be okay with, uh, but I think he would struggle against the elite guys in pass coverage. So that's why I say if he moves inside and he does have those 
uh, I think, good instincts. But uh, that would be his, his limitation to me right there. And who knows? He might be a guy that could prove me wrong and, and be better at that. And, and, you know, he's a guy also that maybe could lose a few pounds, maybe drop a little of that thickness. I don't think he's a fat guy. But, you know, you can lose 10 pounds of, uh, of what you got, re- redefine your body, so to speak, in some ways, and that might be the the difference in him, in him being able to be a three-down linebacker and be a solid inside guy. But I think right now teams will look at him as an outside linebacker with the potential maybe to give you a, you know, move inside and spot you there a little bit if you need to. And then, you know, who knows what you get when you get into camp. You may actually see him make a move. Yeah, he, he's a guy who definitely has some developmental potential. It just depends on what you want to do with him. We're going to wrap this up with the receiver group. There's only a couple of guys there. Neither one of them are really highly rated. Uh, we've got Adarius Stewart, who's uh, coming out a little bit earlier than I'd like to see him come out. His 40 time was right about a 4-5, which doesn't blow you away for a six-foot guy. I, I think a little bit more time to develop his route running and the finesse parts of his game would have helped his draft stock a little bit. And then the other guy is uh, Garrick Dieter, who um, he's six foot three. He's got decent hands, but uh, just he doesn't seem like he's an athlete for the position. Yeah, he's a he's a guy that uh, transferred in, taking advantage of that uh, transfer rule for the seniors. If you want to leave your college with your degree, if you've received your degree already, and go to another university that has a certain degree program that you're interested in, he did that. Came in was a nice addition for the the Alabama uh, there. He, he's a guy that you're probably looking at sixth, seventh round at best. More likely, I would think maybe perhaps an undrafted guy that gets invited to camp and somebody takes a look at him. Stewart's probably a guy that's going to go three, four, five in that range. He's got some upside. He can make some plays and do some things, but not spectacular. And I know you guys wanted to talk about the receivers, but I'm just going to mention one name out of this group that I really love, and that's Dalvin Tomlinson, the defensive lineman. He's a guy that uh, I think is really somebody's going to get a player out of this kid uh, when you draft him because there's a lot of things to like about him. He's very intelligent. He was a high school uh, wrestler. He was a state champion in Georgia four years as a wrestler wrestling in the heavyweight division. And I know a lot of NFL teams like that. So don't sleep on that guy. And uh, he, to me, is the guy that I would like to see the Titans get outside of the top three of Howard, Allen, and Foster if they could come up with Dalvin Tomlinson in the mid-rounds to add to that defensive line, I think you got a really solid another piece there to go with your defensive line. Yeah, I'm really not sure how I missed him. Absolutely right. He was a guy that I had flagged as us picking up uh, mid-rounds. He's a very smart player. He's very physical. He gets everything done that you would want to do at a defensive tackle spot. You're absolutely right about that. Yeah, and he's he's another one of those, and not just because he's an Alabama kid, but he's another one that I've had the opportunity to meet. Humble very intelligent, very soft-spoken, just a, a really, uh, by all reports of everybody that spent time with him down there, and from my one encounter with him, a very humble, really nice kid, uh, very smart. I think the Titans, it wouldn't hurt them if, if they got that guy in those mid-rounds. He's one of those guys that grew up playing different sports, like you said, wrestling. Wrestling always makes for a good lineman. And then also he played a lot of soccer, which you know it really shows in his footwork. Uh, when, when he plays out there, he was a high school soccer player, which is uncommon for an NFL lineman. Just he's he's really a nice athlete. Everything I've seen says he's a great kid. So he he's somebody that I would love for us to pick up and add his depth 
Yeah, I, I would I would like that pick. And, you know, Stewart's a guy, going back to the receiver just real quickly, that I don't know that the Titans would have interest in him because I think there's probably four or five other guys that are kind of similar in size. Zay Jones, Taewon Taylor, uh, Cup, the receiver out of uh, Eastern Washington or Washington State. I, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't have it in front of me, all my notes and everything. But those are some guys, slot guys, kid out of Louisiana Tech that's also a slot receiver that Carlos. I think probably would all be guys that the Titans would be more interested in than Stewart. But I think Stewart will probably find a place to play somewhere. Definitely. Well, Greg, it was awesome having you on. Um, we definitely got to get you back soon. What do you think we do with our, with our draft picks? Do you think, do you want us to trade back or, or are you pretty much sold at, at sticking with five? Uh, I honestly think, and again, as I said early on in the show, that I would not be surprised to see John Robinson trade back from both five and 18 to, to secure more picks because while having five is great and you can get a difference maker, if you go back to 11 or 12 and perhaps there's a guy that slides, you know, you can get a guy there that you would have wanted at five or had in that five range. And not only have you got that guy, but you've picked up more picks and then, you know, what's the difference between 18 and 21? There's not really that much unless you're just in love uh, with a guy at 18, you know, or somebody slides that point and you say, okay, we've got to stay here because we're going to get this guy because he's that good that, you know, maybe he's a top 10 guy that slides to 18. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him go back out of either one of those spots. I was going to say, you know, for me, I've made it clear before. There, there's, in my mind, there's nothing better than trading back a few spots getting a second-round pick and taking Mike Williams along with it. I think that would be, in, in my world, that's, that's a perfect scenario. Well, now, I can tell you this, guys, and I have this on good authority from team sources. If Miles Garrett slides to five, all trades are off. They'll take that dude. But other than that, <laughs> uh, I think probably there's nobody else on the board that they would not consider trading back from to add additional picks that's not named Miles Garrett. If he's at five, he's a Titan. Other than that, uh, if John Robinson gets an offer that he likes, he'll move back and take his chances going back. You know, speaking of Miles Garrett, he declined to go on the uh, the uh, on the show with uh, Greenberg because of comments Booger McFarland made about him, saying maybe he's a little bit soft, uh, he doesn't like the physicality, and he would question his love of the game. Do you think that's just, you know, Booger's known to say things like that. He, he's always been a very outspoken individual, and he's not afraid, you know, to poke the bear or you know, light some people up for some extra attention. Do you think that's a real concern that NFL teams have about Garrett where he could possibly slide to five, or is, is that just all smoke and mirrors at this time of the year? No, I don't think it's smoke and mirrors. I think it's Booger McFarland being Booger McFarland and making a statement that, and I'm not going to question his sincerity. He may well feel that way. He probably does. But as Miles Garrett said in an interview that he did uh, with uh, Rosillo and Cannell, that uh, – they asked him about why he didn't appear on the show, and he, he answered that and said, you know, hey, I played with a lot of injuries too, so I uh, played through some injuries. So perhaps, you know, maybe my production wasn't as good as it should have been, but playing with an injury, I was still out on the field. That was basically his message in all of that. So, you know, it, the guy got a little offended by it, and I can say this, and you guys, uh, you know, you guys are, are friends of mine on Facebook, and go on there and look under my pictures. There's a picture of my dad standing with Miles Garrett that I took at the Music City Bowl. We had the opportunity to talk to the kid a little bit uh, two years ago when Texas A&M came and played 
uh, here in Nashville at uh, Nissan Stadium. Really humble, really nice kid. So, you know, was he a little oversensitive with that? Perhaps, but, uh, you know, I guess he's got a right to, to feel how he feels about it and, you know, Hamlet the way he did and, and not do that. But I think it's a, a little bit overblown because his talent is there. He's a guy that, uh, you know, I, I think if he doesn't go number one, if he's there at number five, I would be shocked. If he doesn't go number one, then uh, San Francisco at, at two would be crazy if they didn't select him. Uh, uh, you know, unless Andrew Luck is on the board, you can take him at quarterback, which they desperately need. And really none of these quarterbacks to me are good enough to, to pass up Miles Garrett for. Yeah, I don't think yeah. you'd find a whole lot of argument there, Greg. Um, just to let everybody know, who doesn't know already? I know you've been on the show quite a few times now, but um, for anybody who doesn't know, where can they find you if they want to hear more Greg Arias? Well, I am uh, writing for Titan Insider uh, with Terry McCormick uh, here in Nashville. Of course, not doing a lot right now, but uh, I can tell you that uh, come draft weekend, Terry and I both will be at uh, St. Thomas Sports Park there as they are every year. Uh, with the Titan staff. Now, we won't be in the, in the quote, war room, as they say, upstairs. We'll be downstairs in the media room, uh, but we'll be right there with the, with the Titans people, and John Robinson will, you know, obviously after the draft picks are made, whatever they do in the first round, come down and talk with us. So you can find all of our stuff on TitanInsider.com and then the Locked on Titans podcast. Myself, Terry, and uh, former Titan tackle Brad Hopkins are – Looking at uh, returning back to that for a second season, we will know more about that here in probably the next uh, week or so as to what's going to happen with it. But uh, those are the two places right now that uh, that you can find me, and certainly Titan Insider coming up uh, the weekend of the draft. Yo, I do have one more question for you. Um, it's kind of a hot-button topic on social media right now, the uh, Colin Kaepernick situation. From my standpoint, I, I think that his not getting signing – is not so much of a NFL owners don't like the way he behaved, which I, I don't think anybody would argue with. The the NFL owners tend to be very patriotic, uh, and so I imagine quite a few of them are very upset with him for that. My, my thoughts are, from a football standpoint, I don't think I would bring him on board until I knew for sure I couldn't do a more traditional-style quarterback first because – He's a guy who needs uh, some motion out of the pocket. He needs uh, a certain style of offense to be at his best. Uh, he's proven he can get things done, but the read option has kind of seen its day already in the NFL. And do you think that it's more of a football thing, or is it more of a don't want to have to deal with that kind of distraction from your second-string quarterback thing? I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, as you said, NFL owners can tend to be uh, very patriotic, and I think that probably no team right now wants to deal with the fan backlash uh, of what that would bring for a team signing him. But to me, he's not a number one quarterback. Now, yes, I know he went to the Super Bowl with San Francisco. You know, there have been other quarterbacks that went to Super Bowls and even won Super Bowls. Yeah, you look at a guy like Trent Dilfer, you know, he, he wasn't a great quarterback. He had a great defense. He went to the Super Bowl. He's got a ring. Congratulations. But he's not. he wasn't a real number one quarterback or a franchise guy. And I don't think that Kaepernick is a franchise guy that can do what an Andrew Luck or a Tom Brady can do, put the team on their back and carry him to the Super Bowl. 
Uh, so uh, I think he's probably more of a, a backup quarterback, and I think probably he winds up finding a job a little bit closer to the start of the season for a team that is in desperate need of that number two, uh, where if he'll come in and stand up during the national anthem, you know, the the team takes a little bit of heat right away, but he's not going to be on the field. And as long as he doesn't come in and cause a distraction, I think they'll take a little bit of heat and it'll go away. So I think he'll find a job closer to the to the start of the season. But right now, nobody's going to step out on that uh, ledge, so to speak, and, and give the media an opportunity to have three or four or five months, whatever, uh, of a run-up, uh, you know, with, with negative stories about it. That's exactly what I was saying. And I, I took a lot of heat for uh, putting that out there, that, He'll get his job, but it's going to be later on because you don't want to deal with that before the draft at this dead time where anything's a story right now. I mean, if a guy drops his sandwich, it's reported on ESPN right now because there's nothing else to talk about in the NFL. So he, he's too much of a distraction for a, a guy who I agree is definitely your backup quarterback uh, unless you just decide that, you know, we've got no other shot. We might as well make him our starter and see what we can do around him. Uh, that 49ers defense and Gore obviously won that Super Bowl and took him there, but he made some great plays along the way. Uh, that first year, he looked like he had a lot of potential, and just he's kind of rounded out to he, he's a backup quarterback who doesn't fit anybody's system. So why would you bring him on board until just you know as the season's about to start or at least training camp, where there's a lot of other stories going on, there's other things to talk about, and see if he can work within your system as the backup to whoever you are starting your team. Absolutely. I think that nailed it. And, you know, when you bring him in closer to the start of the season, as you said, there's so many other stories, and then it doesn't take long before he kind of gets lost in the shuffle as long as he's a good citizen and doesn't give you anything else to, uh, you know, to be a negative about him at that point. I think uh, he'll find something at that point in time because he has some value as a backup. It's not as a starter but he's a guy that could come in and, and play in a pinch. And, you know, to me, one of the teams that I think he would fit a little bit because of his style of play is the Titans. Now, I don't think that they're going to go out and sign him. In fact, I would probably be willing to bet uh, heavily that they don't. But just because he's similar to Marcus Mariota and being a mobile guy, I could see the Titans being a team where he would be a fit and who knows, they might have brought this guy in were it not for the other baggage that he has, you know, surrounding all this other stuff that's going on with him. Yeah, we saw a lot from our fan base asking that question and getting roughly the same response. As always, Greg, it's uh, great having you on. Thanks for coming on to the show. You had a, a, gave us a lot of insight on this Alabama team and a lot of insight in this Titans team, as you always do. So thanks a lot. Uh, glad to do it, guys, anytime. I always enjoy it and uh, looking forward uh, to the draft. By the way, uh, just to let you know, you, you asked a minute ago, uh, Terry and I will probably do, be doing some Periscope stuff through uh, Twitter and certainly will be a, a lot of tweeting uh, going on during the draft. And I always try to answer any and every question that anybody sends me uh, on Twitter uh, you know, about the Titans and about the draft and whatever, and try to, to spend as much time as possible uh, communicating with people because I appreciate people that have questions to ask and take the time and value my uh, thoughts and insight enough to want to take time and ask me. So I certainly appreciate all that. And uh, look me up on Twitter. i certainly be glad to talk to anybody that can. We'll definitely do that. We really appreciate the time.
Thanks, guys. Have a great night. You too, you too, thanks. Another big thanks to Greg Arias for coming on the show. Always a pleasure to have him on. Uh, great insight he always adds. Uh, you should definitely go check him out on Twitter. Uh, definitely, like he said, answer all of your questions. Knows a lot about the team and gets a lot of great insight info. So definitely worth a follow if you're a Titans fan. As always, check out hang10.com, hang10 apparel. It's hangtn.com. Uh, great stuff that you can buy there. And tighten up, guys. Let's get ready for the draft. Next week, Clemson. No one cares. No one cares. Everyone cares. <laughs> Everybody probably does care. All right, just to give but you no a heads up of what the show's going to look like the next couple weeks. Next week we have Clemson. It'll be our last college football profile. Uh, we'll be joined by a special guest for that. Uh, and then the last uh, episode before the draft, uh, me, Glenn, and Matt will be doing an a in-depth draft look at all of the possible picks the Titans could be making. We'll have our own mock drafts ready for you then. Uh, and then, of course, we'll head into the off offseason, uh, get a lot more information to come, a lot more exciting shows, that's for sure, as we get ready for another great Tennessee Titans season. We're definitely looking forward to it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks to my awesome co-hosts, as always. And thanks for uh, to Greg to coming on the show. Everybody have a good night and tighten up. I know. Trade back. Take Mike Williams. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Two-Tone Uncensored podcast. You can listen to the show at twotoneuncensored.podbean.com or by downloading the Podbean app on your mobile device. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at Two-Tone Uncensored and like us on Facebook.